are back with yet another episode of The Last Call. I'm David Griggs, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Andy Kane. How are you, Andy? I'm I'm having some challenges with the little one. You know, he's turning <laughs> two, but uh, besides that, yeah, I'm doing great. Not everyone realizes, I think, that you and I... Um, have independently um children of the same age um like within a few days of each other so we often spend the first um not recorded but the first half an hour of these um podcasts just chatting about the relative um should we say ups and downs of parenting <laughs> two-year-olds <laughs> i think i don't think that's harsh is it that's a, that's a fair thing to say yeah no i think that is a fair thing to say i think every uh every Every parent knows that there is a up and down. Yeah. Um, you know, you'll always love your kid. It's just whether you like them at that moment. Right. Exactly. And there are definitely times where you're just like, oh, I need a break. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to surprise you a little bit. I'm actually having a little glass of uh, Pinot Grigio tonight. It's oh. summer is in the air. We've had the first blue skies in what seems like two years. Um, and so I thought a nice crisp uh, glass of white wine um, was in order. So there we go. I bet, I bet you're a little bit stunned by that. I'm a, uh, I am stunned. I think you're going to be, uh, <laughs> as stunned as well. So, oh, 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 oh. okay. Uh, oh, uh, hold, hold the phone. Um, yeah, I am also drinking a, well, I'm 90 years old. Uh, I've got a 90 year old soul. So I am drinking <laughs> a Chardonnay. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't mind them, right? I think they've got a bad rap recently or, or maybe not even recently i think but that whole californian oaked chardonnay thing was awful but no i think they've actually oregon makes some really nice um uh, chardonnays in my opinion but that's great awesome yeah see this is this is why it works our relationship works here like you know i, I come into a safe space and you you bring me up here so what about my drink choice <laughs> exactly. and chardonnay? i think the difference with white wine is that you cannot get away with a bad white wine. Like red, there's a lot, there's like a broad tolerance, isn't there? You can kind oh, of go, yeah. mm, it's not great, but I can drink it. But white, like oh, if yeah. it's not good, it's, it's really swill. not good. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, oh my God. But you know, and Chardonnay definitely is, I, I would say more more of a roll of the dice than many white wines. Yeah. But um, no, I enjoy a nice Chardonnay, honestly. So no, no, nothing, nothing, nothing to be ashamed of there, my friend. Yeah. Um, well, so, that's good to know. <laughs> what, um, um, uh, uh, but perhaps, perhaps conversely, <laughs> talking of shame, um, what is the, uh, the subject for tonight and, and how is it? We're continuing on, I know, from um, the previous week's um, podcast, but maybe you can help us understand yeah. what it is we're going to be talking about. We're going to continue our series on the Second Amendment and you know it being ingrained into American society. Um, and last week we we talked about that, or last episode we talked about uh, you know why why are firearms ingrained in the American culture? And so this this week, what we want to touch on is the 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 big old why, what is the Second Amendment? Like, what's the deal with the Second Amendment um, <laughs> that everyone seems to be quoting? Yet I don't think everyone has a good grasp of what it actually uh, means. You know, what's interesting to me about these amendments is they're only what like two sentences sometimes, if yeah. that, three sentences, and. It takes an army of scholars to dissect intent, where the comma is, what that means. Um, it's just kind of uh, it, it's funny because like the spirit of the of that law or the spirit of that amendment is is just completely dissected 
um, and can be used for both both uh, you know views on a on a matter. And so, what we want to talk about today is the Second Amendment. For those that that aren't a part of uh, American society, um, <laughs> the the Second Amendment is part of the Bill of Rights, which was uh, an add on to our Constitution, right? And so, these were um, the the rights that the founding fathers. Uh, unfortunately, no f- founding mothers uh, were involved in that, but it's just a whole bunch of old white guys standing around going, you know, there's probably some um, there's probably some rights that every person deserves, um, no matter of we say no matter of uh, religion, you know, race or creed. But, you know, um, that's a subject for a different different uh, podcast. But so really, when you look at what the Second Amendment says is it's it really is uh talking about the right to bear arms um that's what it's really referred to um and i'm trying to pull up the actual i have verbiage. it here actually oh do I you do. okay I, I do yeah um it reads and to your point very simply reads a well-regulated militia comma being necessary to the security of a free state capital s comma the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That is it. That is all it says. Um, you know, maybe, Andy, it's worth just starting with a, what is an amendment? I mean, maybe you can help um, explain to everyone what exactly an amendment is. And um, obviously the Bill of Rights is a series of 10 amendments, which we colloquially yeah. refer to as a Bill of Rights. But what is an amendment to the Constitution? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just that uh, it's an amendment (laughs) to a document, right? So uh, going back and realizing maybe that something wasn't included in the the original document is just generalized terms, right? Uh, The original document and being able to write it down and codify it and it become part of the original document. And, you know, this is used all the time, just in regular business writing or or legal writing. Amendments for the Constitution are to guarantee certain unalienable rights to the citizens of uh, of the United States. Um, and you mentioned the Bill of Rights, which is the first ten, but there's several other right uh, amendments after that um, that include um, the abolition or the the abolishment of slavery, um, the right to voting. Um, there's, there's several other ones that, that our listeners can go look up. Yeah, but- I mean, this has been used multiple times, not always as a way to uh, add new rights, but sometimes as a clarification, right. Or a restatement right. of things to take some ambiguity out of what is a, you know, imperfect document, of course. I mean, the constitution is a masterpiece, I think, yeah. but, but it, of course, if there is a question about the um the meaning or some of the rights that are um, inscribed in it often amendments are used to clarify um, but in, in some cases also to to extend right I think to your point um, of um, the, the rights of of American citizens well and I think the other thing too and this is probably this this could be its own own subject that we dive into is there seems and maybe this is just me uh, uh, looking at it is, there seems to be this notion within the United States that amendments are sacred. Like you cannot change the amendments. And even so more of late where, um, 
you know, amendments uh, don't, they, they obviously, they don't happen all the time, right? Like it takes two thirds of majorities of both houses of, of Congress um, to pass. I've never these. seen so one in my deal. lifetime, I don't believe. When, I, uh, I actually don't know when the last amendment was passed. And some of them are still pending um, ratification, right? There are some out there that have never actually been ratified by two thirds of the states, which is interesting in itself. Yeah, I think I'm, I, was, I was looking up earlier. I think it's, of course, they all use Roman numerals. So hold on, bear with me. I think that's 27. Yeah, I think you're right. 27, 27 amendments to the is, Constitution. Is, 19, is in, was in 1992. And this is oh, just, okay. here, but, here, but here's what's so funny. So you have the amendment, you have the second amendment, which talks about the right to bear arms. And then you have amendment 27, which is no law varying the compensation for the services of the senators and represent, representatives <laughs> shall take effect until an election of representatives shall have intervened. Like, they're talking about paying senators and re- representatives at that point. So not <laughs> so all zingers, are they? I think no, that's fair. I mean, no, we talk about the First cool. Amendment, you know, the, the right to free speech, Second Amendment. Some of them are a little more. But I, to, to your point, and I know we want, we really want to dive into the Second Amendment, but this idea that the Constitution is immutable is laughable, and it's often used as a defense for the Second Amendment. Prohibition is actually two amendments, right? One that established it and one that uh, revoked it. And yeah. so this idea that because the Second Amendment has you know, prescribed these rights to own uh, and bear arms seemingly now in an unrestricted way or ever unrestricted way, the fact that this idea that that's immutable and that we have to accept it because that is the uh, Constitution is laughable. And I do see today even members of Congress, not senators, but uh, congressmen and women um, from the House, um, making this argument that, you know, you, you, how can you argue against the Second Amendment? This is this is enshrined. No, it isn't, actually. No. <laughs> it is well, itself an, a, an alteration of the original document, right? Well, you, you, it's funny because you bring this up because, um, you know, whether we like it or not, like back in history, people – were de- that were deemed untrustworthy after the Revolutionary War. So, like the British loyalists. Um, of course, there was also you know a little bit of racism going on with the Native Americans. But sale or ownership by those people deemed untrustworthy was enforced. Like they could not own firearms. And in fact, state militias would go around knocking on going door to door to register surveys. So, you know, they could, um, quote unquote, impress those weapons if necessary. So they knew who owned firearms and who didn't. And that's right. where the well-regulated comes in. And it's just blown out of proportion now. So let's talk about that. Because up sure. until about 1950, this was a largely forgotten um amendment it wasn't debated and there wasn't really any precedent in the united states for individual ownership of guns um certainly gun ownership was permitted but it wasn't politicized and it wasn't fought over as as vehemently as it is today Uh, and then um we start to see a change and that change came very gradually initially um and then i think there was this I think, landmark um, event that really turned um, the way we think about the Second Amendment on its head. And that happened in the late 70s, um, an organization known as the National Rifle Association, which was formed as a training, safety, marksmanship organization intended to inform people about gun safety, help them handle firearms safely, and improve 
you know, their marksmanship from a sports perspective. And in this event, I, be- I think it's called the, the Revolt of Cincinnati in 1977, certain mm-hmm. factions within the NRA essentially took over the entire organization and it became this um, lobbying, a lo- essentially a lobbyist um, for yeah, not- they weren't they walking around the convention like the dissentists or whatever that yeah like they were walking around with orange hunting caps on so they'd know who each other was or something like that i don't know but that That's sounds that, that sounds on point to yeah, me that that's on message right. it's definitely on brand right yeah but yeah i mean essentially overnight almost they they went from being a largely um safety oriented organization to a a advocacy group for not just gun safety but gun ownership and that is when the Second Amendment, of course, they leaned on that heavily, became this um, heavily politicized um, um, uh, amendment, which uh, was foundational to their, essentially their position, their posture, which was guns for everyone. And, you know, this was largely untested, right? I think, and that's the interesting thing. You know, I, I mean, when you, let's, because I didn't grow up here, so let me ask you something. Sure. You, you, you're a gun owner, as am I. Yep. Um, you grew up in a family that presumably were not afraid of, or, you know, the guns were just part of life. What was yep. it like, you know, in, in, in your, in your childhood, you know, growing up in your family, like what was the attitude to guns? What, 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 how did it, how did it like manifest itself in your family? Um, so I think like just growing up in the Midwest in general, like guns just were kind of a part of, of life. Like, you know, um, a lot of recreation was either hunting or just marksmanship, like going out and shooting, you know, at cans or whatever. Um, so I think with that though, a introduction to firearms, uh, becomes like paramount when you're younger. So you're taught that these things are weapons that, you know, there are very strict handling, you know, you hand, you handle the, the weapon, like it's always loaded. You never point it at, um, anything that you don't intend to shoot. Uh, you always know what's behind um, your target. So right. there was like this installation, there was uh, at a very young age and and maybe, you know, my family grew up, uh, we, we got into it a little later in life, um, just the where we grew up in our situation. But like, you know, I, I know several other people that that was kind of like on Sundays, you know, they went out shooting with dad and they were, you know, six, seven years old and they had their own rifle. But that being said, um, you're always taught to respect it. And like all of my family members, we no matter how old or, or young we were, we all went through hunter safety class, right? Which is, which is given by um, uh, the Department of Conservation. So, you know, you're taught how to handle a firearm. You're taught uh, how to hunt. You're taught how to carry a firearm properly through a field. Um, so there's that an, sounds uh, healthy to me. I mean, that, yeah. that's nothing. I mean, we live in a dangerous world. There are like chemicals on every shelf that can kill children. Like, I feel like this idea that you're taught about something that is around, right? It's everywhere. Yep. And you're taught how to respect it. And how, that sounds very healthy and very responsible. And, you know, in lieu of just outright banning weapons in the United States, which, as we said last time, is an unrealistic um, yeah. posture. I think that's exactly what families should be doing. And I think yeah. I, I get it. And and if they also want to celebrate weapons by, you know, hunting and, and, and having, you know, and exercising marksmanship and all that kind of stuff, then great. Um, but I think this idea that you have to be 
like I'm not sure Theo is going to be into guns, my yeah. my son. But but at the same time, we're definitely going to make sure he understands what they are because they're just they're around, right? I mean, he yeah. has to learn regardless because I don't want him the first time he finds a firearm or comes across one to not have any understanding of how dangerous a thing this could be if it's not treated with respect and used properly. So I think that's great. But then yeah. there's but there's something different, isn't there? Now in like there's almost a f- and it's and it, and it's the it's the product of politicization right which is now like it's this this right that is in inscribed by the second amendment is has become this battleground in itself ironically maybe many ways um because it, it, it there seems to be this pervasive um what's the right word attitude um yeah. in the US that there are factions of us people that want to somehow nullify that amendment or take it away and i i don't know about you but i don't see any evidence of that i see zero evidence of democrats and even seemingly extreme like liberal uh, you know there is still a respect for that amendment at least that's my take do, do you share that or what do you think about that yeah i think we should talk a little bit i know we have a limited amount of time uh, you know i am very fascinated with how this happened i think you need to take take a step back of like the sentiment and what was going on in the world and why um this became uh you know kind of a like you said a battleground so um, I'll, I'm going to breeze through it really quickly, and I, I am quoting from um, a Vox article called "Policy and Politics: uh, The NRA Second Amendment Gun Violence." I, I, by the way, if I think I think if we run a little long on this episode, I think we'll be forgiven <laughs> okay. because this is a complex subject. Yeah. Right? So yeah, we're never going to be able to the, to uh, cover everything here. But so, but prior to 1930s, the the U.S. government really did not. Um, did not regulate firearms, right? It was, um, we mentioned like, you know, after the Revolutionary War, yeah, there was some of that. But prior to the 1930s, there wasn't um, really an issue. But 1930, I think it was like 38 or something. Um, I forget the name of the the actual law that was passed, but it was really to, um, uh, they started, the, oh, it was the National Firearms Act, of course, uh, with restrictions on like machine guns, sawed off shotguns and silencers, um, and at that time, like you mentioned, the NRA was not a very political body, but this was the first entrant or the first entry of um, of the government taking on regulation of firearms. And this really kind of came out of the rise of the New Deal for the expansion of like federal powers and the increase oh, wow. um, and because of an increase in homicide and crime rates. So naturally, the federal government stepped in at that time. The NRA was not political at all. Well, a few days, decades later, what ends up happening? You've got Vietnam, you've got uh, JFK, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, all assassinated. So the federal government comes in again and has the um, and passes the Gun Control Act of 1968. So what you're seeing now is more of the federal government starting to, you know, put some some uh, bumpers around what what people can and can't do. So let me just um, say that back to you. So yeah. so up until 68 really we didn't have a, a big reason in the US to to get involved. Um the federal government I mean had a, right. had no reason to get involved. Then we started to see a lot of crime that was gun related and so somewhat arguably responsibly the federal government stepped in and said, "Well, hang on a minute, maybe we should start to introduce some uh, regulation around the ownership and use of firearms. Is that right? Yes, I, w- I would say that's it. And then what ends up happening is that kind of fuels, you know, with, of course, with like Vietnam, the Korean War and, and the like, um, 
you know, there's this distrust of the federal government. And so this is what allows Harlan Carter, who is the one who um, basically ended up taking over the NRA and was mentioned, you know, the Cincinnati, um, mm-hmm. the Cincinnati meeting. Um, that's what they were all banking on, right? Was that um, there's the government's coming, trying to come and take your rights away. Uh, you know, if the government steps in, there's no way you're going to be able to defend your family, defend against the government, blah, blah, blah. And that's what kind of start, kickstarts this whole thing. Now, granted, there is a whole complex political machine behind this that is really pushing on this. Um, you know, once you start getting into the tales of like Paul Manafort's of the world and um, the Newt Gingrich's of, of us politics where like lobbying becomes a real thing. Like it's legal to lobby. I, I think people just, I think a younger generation assumes like everyone hears lobbyists that, Oh, it's been around forever. It actually only started in like the eighties. Um, if not a little later where it was uh, or maybe a little earlier that it was allowed that people could pay others to lobby government employees um, on behalf of special interests. But anyways, so the NRA kind of becomes this, this political uh, money machine that isn't, I don't think necessarily just representing firearms owners. It's representing this ideal. And I, and the idea, the ideal is that the government can't be trusted. You need to protect yourself. Um, they're coming to get you almost to a point, right? No, I, big, I think you're right. I think that the NRA's, the revolt of Cincinnati was predicated on this idea that the government is coming from two angles here. One, it's restricting your rights to own weapons and then therefore defend yourself. And secondly, to your point, this idea that ordinary citizens should be able to bear arms to defend themselves from the standing army of the United States, right? Which is this whole, this dates back to the Revolutionary War. Um, those two things combined, like be, it's almost like a pincer, right? It's like the government's trying to take your rights and at the same time they're building an army to come get you. And yeah. I think that the NRA just hit a vein, right? With a lot of American citizens at the time, um, at which resulted in, the the organization that they are today yeah um fortunately you know the nra is losing power (laughs) but yeah (laughs) well i know that's true but then i feel like after um you know the recent atrocities i feel like there was certainly some uh, some potency to their um, their, um, you know, their annual uh, meeting, it was happened to be, you know, I think obviously by chance a few hours away, Yeah. but you know, they certainly got a lot of high profile politicians to turn up and continue to peddle these tired tropes around, you know, um, gun advocacy and gun rights that, um, None of them were particularly new, but they were certainly just as potent, I felt, as they ever were. But yeah, I do feel like there's some question over, there's some sort of financial um, hot water that they're in around, you know, appropriation of funds and et cetera. But I, don't, I think we would be, it would be foolish of us to dismiss them as something that's, you know, essentially um, waning, in my opinion, yeah. at least. Yeah, fair enough. It, so um, let's, let's talk, yeah. let's fast forward a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, so we have, the revolt of Cincinnati and then um, the NRA kind of shifts gears from being a 
safety advocacy group to something that's more lobbying around gun ownership and starting to spend considerable amounts of money um, um, or eventually, I think, uh, uh, considerable amounts of money on um, supporting certain political agendas. Um, And then we have this interesting 2008 Supreme Court ruling um, that for the very first time um, enshrines the idea of individual ownership because, you know, as we read the Second Amendment, it's very difficult, I think, from just that very short sentence to um, extrapolate this idea that it's essentially giving individuals the right to uh, um, bear arms. The very first sentence is, you know, a, a well-regulated militia, right, which implies <laughs> some kind of organization or group at least. Um, and then there was this interesting um, case that this guy Heller brought to the District of Columbia um, around his, uh, he was refused. I think, I'm, again, I'm kind of, I'm, I did do a little bit of research for this, but I'm, I'm sort of not, probably not remembering it exactly right. But he was refused a permit in the United, I think in the District of Columbia, essentially Washington, yep. um, to own a, a, a firearm. And he took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And in a 5 4 decision, they uh, overturned the um, appellate court and essentially said, yes, actually, the Second Amendment does guarantee an individual right to possess firearms. And this changed everything, right? Because now the NRA lapped this up like a cat with a saucer of milk. And next thing you know, I mean, they just like rode, they took this to the bank, right? I mean, this was unprecedented. I mean, it's the first time that a essentially the biggest court in our land turned around and said, yeah, actually, you know, it does. Yeah. I don't think the world's been the same ever since, right? It's changed dramatically after that decision. Yeah. It's kind of funny. You look at uh, who the (laughs) majority decision on Supreme court was of that. And it's, it's murderers row of the GOP. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I I won't get into that, but, um, but yeah, so that district Columbia versus Heller really set the stage and it it kind of started warping, if you will, like the argument of the second amendment, it really became um, a centerpiece of the firearm debate. And now you have precedents backed by the Supreme court, right? So anytime anyone tries to limit um, any sort of, of a firearm purchase like i find it funny and this is this is coming from as of late right so uh washington uh state is passing a law that um i think it's in uh july 1st comes into effect that you can no longer own um high capacity magazines right like you have to right they have to be like 10 rounds or less i believe is the is the limit you cannot I, I just find it very hard to believe that someone can make a logical argument of why they need more than 10 rounds um, in a rifle. <laughs> like, I mean, you have I, to be a poor shot, maybe. Yeah, yeah, a poor <laughs> shot. And then, yeah. you know, the, the, the notion that it's going to be used for hunting is insane because if you're taking more than, than three shots at, at uh, you know, uh, what you're going after, like you're, you shouldn't be hunting. Like well, traditional is, hunting weapons have, you know, very limited shots. So they're either bolt yeah. action rifles that literally are one or two shots at a time, or the shotguns, which have one or two, no one's hunting with a pump action shotgun. They are hunting with double barrel shotguns yeah. or they're hunting with long guns that take one or two, um, 
um, bullets at a time, right? They're not, no, yeah. This idea that an AR-15, which is essentially an assault rifle, is somehow a hunting weapon is yeah. ridiculous. I mean, who wants to eat, you know, a piece of no, choice no meat one, that's riddled with bullets? Yeah, I mean, that's insane. Like, are they fun to shoot? Yes. Do I enjoy yeah. shooting, you know, do I enjoy shoot, like going target shooting with them? Absolutely. Are they necessary? No. Um, and I think this is where, like, why the government actually started coming in as well is the accessibility to these types of firearms, right? You have the the military industrial complex spinning up. After all these wars, you have a lot of GIs coming home. Um, you've got a lot of inventory that's sitting around. And this isn't just because of like World War II. Um, this is throughout, you know, history, right? Like um, trying to get into that civilian market like there's no reason why military arms, I believe, this is just my opinion, right, should be available to a, a citizen. There's just no need for it. And it's not I a self-defense thing either. They're a lot of fun. And I totally get the whole thing about shooting a military weapon is entertaining. But you can go and do that in a safe environment. You don't have to own it. You don't have to take it home with you. You know, there are plenty of places where, um, and in fact, in the UK, um, that's exactly how it works. If you want to shoot guns, you can even own a weapon, right? But you have to leave it in the gun club, in the cl- in a locked locked you know closet essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you want to go shoot it, you go there and you get it out, you shoot it, and you put it back and you go home. So, like, I think this whole sport or, or marksmanship argument can be easily solved with that. But mm-hmm. but yeah, as much as 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 fun as shooting that kind of weapon is, um, I, I I get no, I agree with you. There is no reason why you need to have one in your. <laughs> in the cupboard under the stairs right i mean this makes no sense to me at all i just absolutely anyways um so yeah that's that's kind of you know i think coming up on some closing thoughts here like you know what why is the second amendment um such a hot topic within america is like honestly it wasn't for a long time um and then it became a, a center stage for a type of of ideal uh, political ideal of the government can't you know the government is not going to infringe on my rights and it just happens to be that this right to bear arms which actually if you read i will say if you read the second amendment does not give the individual even though no. the supreme court you know they're obviously they're well versed in law more so than i am but i mean just as a common person which is what the amendments were meant to be read by uh, or who they were meant to be read by. I can't see the, I can't see it, but no, I agree. That's, that's uh, for a different time. I, I think what happened here and I, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but I think the NRA spoon fed a story around um, infringement of rights that suited their agenda for the proliferation of uh, firearms that was largely being supported by their allegiance to the gun, um, uh, um, essentially the gun businesses, right? The organizations that produce firearms. And at the same time, they leverage this, I think somewhat um, reasonable, but certainly entrenched you know, a distrust of government, which is not, which extends way past the firearm argument, right? I think big government in the US is always looked on by most people um, dubiously, right? Um, it's, you know, get out of my stuff, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And I think those two things combined created a... Um, polarization and politicization of the second amendment which gets us to where we are today and unfortunately and we we will cover this in a different 
um, discussion, but combine that with some pathological mental health issues, um, cult of celebrity, um, the things that are not unique to the United States, but are um, but combined with broad accessibility of firearms create a catastrophic outcome, um, get us to where we are today. And it's really sad. And I feel like, you know, I'm at the point where I don't know if I want to put my kid in school in this country mm. because I don't know how I would like be okay with that. Um, but yes, I agree with you. We've gone way past our um, allotted time, but um, I think we will perhaps continue this discussion, Andy, for uh, maybe one or two more episodes. Um, yep. Any final thoughts? Uh, the only thought I would say is like, you know, have our listeners go out do their own research um i mentioned you know quoting a, a vox article I, I misquoted what the title was so uh it's by uh jermaine uh lopez it's called how the nra resurrected the second amendment so go check that one out yeah and there's actually a great book called the second amendment and um i can't remember the name of the author but we'll we'll figure out a way to post it in the in the notes for this it's actually really worth reading too if you're interested michael in- waldman there you go Actually, that's exactly it. Yeah. And um, that is a great book. That it's, it's, it's very light, but it gives you a good sense of not only the amendment itself, but how the interpretation of it has changed over the years and talks a lot about the revolt with Cincinnati and those things. Awesome. Well, Andy, um, a somber, somewhat sobering uh, topic, especially given the nature of our podcast, but I think we'll continue it because it's an important one. And I think... Um, perhaps interesting as well, maybe for folks who aren't um, living here in, in the United States. Um, it's been a pleasure and um, uh, we'll be back uh, uh, soon with another episode. In the meantime, be curious. <laughs>